Happy Friday, Tony G Nation, a special Friday edition of the Tony G Show today. I had a busy day yesterday on Thursday, and with Easter coming right around the corner, I mean, things are kind of up in the air. It's a, it's a bit of a different show. There's no Will today. He's out on Easter break early. I said, you know what, Will, don't even worry about it Thursday. I was like, I don't know if we're going to get a show in Thursday because I had a really busy schedule just with class and everything going on that I had. So I said, Will, don't even worry about it. You just The minute you're done with class or you're good to go, you head home. Don't worry about no Tony G show. So there is no Will McCormick, as I mentioned. Just me, Tony G, and you, Tony G Nation. Easter right around the corner. This is April 15th of 2022. Easter is on the 17th. So this is a Friday, and we're just a few days removed from this beautiful Catholic holiday. And holiday for everybody, really. I don't mean to just make it Catholic, but it is about that... uh, that spirit and religion and all that that Easter comes about. So with that, I wish you a very happy Easter. I'll do it again towards the end of the show, but I just want to get that off my chest now. Happy Easter weekend and good Friday. I hope that you enjoy all that this holiday and the weekend means, whatever it means to you. The other piece of information I wanted to get off my chest, I am officially going to announce this now. This is quite a big announcement, and I'll be making announcements up until the event. Every year, St. Norbert College, the Athletics Department, hosts the Norby Awards. Or at least every year, in theory, they haven't been able to do it the last couple of years because of COVID. I think 2020, they did it virtually, and then last year, they just didn't do it at all. So they're doing it again this year. It'll be the 10th annual Norby Awards, where it's almost like the Oscars, where all the athletes you know, get awards. There's awards for different picks. Um, I shouldn't say all the athletes, but it's like newcomer of the year or MVP or what is something like that. It's like an award ceremony to celebrate the athletics year for St. Norbert College. I have been asked and of course accepted to host that event. So I will MC the Norby Awards as the hosts. You know, it's not as big as the Oscars where like Chris Rock will do it or I guess I just threw Chris Rock in there because of the event. I hope I don't make jokes and, you know, someone comes up and slaps me in the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing. But either way, you know, when like Ricky Gervais hosts it or this year they, there was uh, – Three celebrities who did it, uh, women of Amy Schumer. Um, I'm forgetting the other two uh, off the top of my head. I think the other one was Wanda Sykes hosted it. I can't remember the third. But, you know, it's sort of like that where they will have a celebrity host it. And I'm not saying I'm a celebrity. But in this context, with the involvement I have had with the athletics department as the broadcaster for the last four years and everything I do with public address announcing and the interviews, we have the Tony G Show interviews, I have such a a strong relationship and bond with the athletics department that they have asked me to host. And I was so gracious to get that opportunity in that email and in exchanging a couple emails and understanding what the event will be like and what their goal is for it to to turn out as. I'm so excited and appreciative to get this opportunity to be able to host the Norby Awards. What a huge deal that is to me. And I look forward to that event. It'll be something. I'm writing jokes right now. There's a couple jokes that I got in the holster. I want to make it like the Oscars. They said they want it like the Oscars. You know, that's their words. It's like their Oscars event where they celebrate the last year in their athletics department. So you want Oscars. I'm going to start roasting people. All right. I have a couple jokes written up, but it's not anything too far, of course. Um, But it's going to be a fun event. You can watch it virtually. I think only the athletes can attend because there's... 600 student athletes and I don't know that all of them are going to be there because some graduated in December they're still invited though and some might not want to come for whatever reason whatever it might be so it's only open to the athletes because of how many there are you can watch virtually though that's how parents usually do it so uh, stay tuned for any updates on that now let's get to today's show 
I was like, do I want to have a show today? Do I not want to have a show today? You know, there's no will. It's Easter. It's Good Friday. I didn't get a show in on Thursday because I was so busy. So what do I want to do? Well, I decided we're going to have a show. This is what we're going to talk about. Three things came up to me. You know how we talk three things in every episode. Three things came to my attention where I was like, I could talk about that. I could talk about that. I could talk about, I could have a show about this. So I decided to throw together a show plan and why not stay on track for 25 episodes this season and record an episode for Tony G Nation. So here we are. What we're going to talk about in the first segment today, James Dolan may no longer be the worst owner in professional sports. That's an interesting statement because if you have tuned into the Tony G show year after year after year, that has been something that I have been construed upon. I mean, that is something that I have stapled myself to. Like that is my opinion that I've had for years because I always have thought James Dolan has been the worst owner in sports. But I think I found a new number one for worst owner in pro sports. We'll get to that in segment number one. Segment number two, we're still talking about the unwritten rules in baseball. You know, this whole event between the Padres and Giants where the Giants were up big and they were bunting and this and that. And we're still talking about unwritten rules. I'm going to tell you to get over it in segment number two. Then segment number three, a bit of a fun segment. You know who the Savannah Bananas are? That's a real team. That's a real organization. I'm going to say they are the WWE of the baseball world. I'll explain what that means in the third and final segment. So that's our show today. Worst owner in sports, a new number one, the unwritten rules in baseball, get over it. And the WWE of the baseball world is the Savannah Bananas. That's our show today. No Will McCormick. Just me and you, Tony G Nation. So let's have a good episode today. You can catch me on Twitter at Tony G Nation. Catch me on Instagram at Tony Giordana or at Tony G Nation. Dot com. That's where you can catch everything. Subscribe, like, comment to the Tony G Show wherever you listen to your podcast. Season 8 is winding down. This is the final season, so the time that we have to talk is only getting shorter. For now, at least. This is the Tony G Show. You are listening to the 8th and final season of the Tony G Show. 8 seasons of laughs, memories, and sports are coming to an end. Follow the show on Twitter at Willis5312 and at Tony G Nation. Check out more from Tony G at TonyGNation.com. Now, along with Will McCormick, here's your host, Tony G. For years and years and years, I have said that James Dolan is the worst owner in sports. I said, hands down, you know, James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks, I think he does a terrible job running that NBA team. He can't get them to win, even though they've had players over the years that have been strong and athletic and, you know, like Carmelo Anthony or, you know, certain players like that where it's like this team is primed to win. You know, you just have to put the right pieces around, you know, have had Phil Jackson as the team president who, you know, used to play there. and, And it's like James Dolan has still done such a bad job putting a good product on the court that he still can't get them into a playoff or a play-in series. It's like they're eliminated every year. And that's in large part, I think, because of James Dolan and the job he does running that NBA team. But more than that, there's stories of him being a bad guy. I remember this one time a few years ago where he banned a fan who criticized him in the arena. So James Dolan was like walking to the locker room or whatever, and a fan shouted something at him that he does a bad job running the team, which is true. I mean, it's not like it's a lie. It's not like it's just an upset fan at a a team that has been winning, and then all of a sudden they have this losing year, and then he's coming after. It's like that's true. Like you suck at running the Knicks. Like you're terrible at it. I think you do a terrible job of it. And so to ban a fan who, I mean, come on. 
the NBA as a whole is getting soft at fans chirping players and chirping. He is such a bad guy, James Dolan, where it's like you don't even deserve to be in the sports realm. You know, sports is supposed to make people happy and, you know, bring people together. And some of the actions that he has done over the years, it's just been, you know, it's been constant of him just being a bad dude. So with that, I have always, always stuck by him being a bad owner. I've always criticized James Dolan. I said he is the worst owner in pro sports for years and years. But he might be bumped down to number two for this next candidate for worst owner in sports. Are you ready for this? I'm going to go with Dan Snyder, who is the owner of the Washington Commanders. Recent news that the Washington football team under Snyder's captaincy, under Snyder's, I don't want to say command because it wasn't like he directly ordered that this happened, but under his watch, had fudged numbers and withheld payments to the NFL. I'll break down what that means in a second. But this is an organization that, you know, was, was criticized for years over the whole Redskins name. And criticized for the fact that they changed from the Redskins after years of want and and asking from the public sphere. You know, everyone wanted the Redskins to change their name. And they waited years and years and years to do it. And then they finally did it. And what did they turn to? The Washington football team. What? I mean, think about that for a second. You are a professional entity. You are a professional organization in the sense that everything you do will be seen by hundreds because it's the NFL. I mean, you are a pro football team in the NFL, one of the world's most popular sports in one of the country's most popular organizations in the NFL. And you have been criticized and scrutinized for having and holding the Redskins name. So you don't change it for years and years of people asking for it. And then you finally like, yeah, let's change it. But don't have a plan. Like for all these years that people ask. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I'm not one to scrutinize over teams' names. You know, like Redskins or Indians like that. I'm not one to do it. I understand why people would if they're offended by it. I'm not in the, the category to be offended by that. You know, I, I don't have any any ties to any indigenous groups to be offended by that. So I, I am not in the right realm to say whether they should change their name or not. But for years and years that people ask, wouldn't you, in a front office mindset, try to draw up a plan for your professional organization to say, okay, people aren't so accustomed to the Redskins brand anymore. Let's change it to something better, something where we're not going to offend anybody, something where people can latch onto, something where especially fans can latch onto, something that makes us look like a well-rounded organization. Like, wouldn't you draw up a plan? But no, they waited and waited and waited. And then social cry came out that the Redskins finally had to change the name. So they said, okay, we will do it after sitting on it for years. And then just went to the Washington football team. They didn't have anything to fall back on. There was no plan. There was nothing set up. Like, think about that. We just take that for granted that, yeah, they were the Washington football team for two years. But look more in depth at that. They did not have a plan. Are you serious? There was nowhere to turn. You just were like, well, let's just call ourselves the football team. Let's not have a logo. Let's not have a, let's just throw numbers and, and keep the same color brand, but let's just throw numbers on the helmets. Let's just go by the football team. Are you serious? Like not even Pop Warner teams do that. That's like flag football stuff. You know, Team Red versus Team Blue. Pop Warner, there's at least like, 
teams like the Buccaneers, who I think the Alloway Buccaneers, I didn't play football. I never put on shoulder pads to play football, but I think that's the Pop Warner team that is right down the road here in Alloway, the Buccaneers. Like even Pop Warner teams filled with kids can come up with better brands than that, than just the football team. We're the Alloway football team. Are you kidding? That's, that's what they had to fall back on? So then they didn't, they didn't, what's the right word I'm looking for? They didn't speed up the process of finding a new brand to go with. They weren't like, we need to put something in motion and we need to put something in motion now. We'll call ourselves the football team this year. You know, we dropped the ball on having a plan, but let's speed up the process to get us something, a better brand for people to latch on to for next season. They didn't even do that. They were the football team for two consecutive seasons before finally being like, hey, we have a brand. And then they come up with the commanders of all things. I mean, not to mention that the commanders is, I think, a ball drop of an opportunity to rebrand to something that people can latch onto. The commanders, it's like the Cleveland Guardians, where I heard the story where the Guardians, formerly the Indians of Major League Baseball, there was some ties. They used to be called the Cleveland Spiders. Like, that would have been an awesome thing to latch onto, but you went Guardians, which is like something out of a video game. Like, the, you would draw up as just a normal person just trying to create your own football team instead of a professional entity trying to rebrand the company organization to be something that fans can latch onto. So back in this case, you go with the commanders. What does that even mean? What are you talking about? And then they hyped it up. You know, you saw it on Twitter and all the social medias that, oh, we got such a great brand coming. We got a new mascot. We got new helmets. Like it's going to be great. And then you come out with commanders. What a ball drop that is. I mean, what a missed opportunity. What a joke. So that starts, that all starts with Dan Snyder. All starts with him. He has been the owner of the Commanders, formerly the football team, formerly the Redskins for years now. He bought it at a record, I think it was like $800 million when he bought it. I think in the early 2000s. I did some research on this, but I didn't put down those exact figures into today's show plan because I wanted to spend time blasting Dan Snyder and not looking into how much he paid for the team. So besides that, where they fudge the numbers. Here's, well, I guess not besides that, but more in-depth on what that meant, that they fudged numbers and withheld payments from the NFL. The Washington football team kept two financial books of everything, you know, every withdrawal, every deposit, every cent they made, or every transaction. They kept two financial books, one with real numbers, like every other organization, and then one with fudged numbers, ones with fake numbers that they manipulated in order for the Washington football team to keep more money from the NFL without the NFL knowing. You're kidding me, right? I mean, that is blatant, blatant disregard for the NFL. And that, you know, that's something that other owners are going to see. They know that their team keeps straight books and they're, you know, to a T on everything that they hand into the NFL. They pay their dues. And then they see the commanders do this under the ownership of Dan Snyder after everything that has already gone on. And you got to think, oh my gosh, this is just a joke of an organization. There's also recent news of retaining $5 million from 2,000 different customers by purposely failing to refund season ticket holders. Now that, that it's one thing to fudge numbers that you're going to give to the NFL, your higher entity, right? The higher ups that you have to turn into your bosses, you know, the big wigs down at the NFL headquarters. It's one thing to do that. But then when you start messing with fans and your fan base as a whole, I mean, that is just such a 
a terrible look. What a joke of an organization that that is, right? It shows you how, how stingy they are with their money, how cheap they are. The fact that they're trying to retain every dollar that they can, and I get it, everybody's hurting after COVID, but it's like, really? You're the Washington Commanders. You're a Washington, you're an NFL pro football team, and you're doing this type of crap? It's disgusting. And to do it to the fans is, I mean, just terrible. I think, Dan, and I saw this when I was doing research that a few years ago, Dan Snyder sued season ticket holders over disputes of how much they would pay or because they didn't pay for the season tickets when. You know, the COVID year. So, I mean, Dan Snyder is so cheap. Not to mention, you remember last year when that whole, like, grandstand fell over after the game? I, I Who was it? Jalen Hurts? When the Eagles played in Washington and then the grandstand, like, fell over? Jalen Hurts wasn't hurt. Nobody was really hurt, but it was like, what? And I think, I think this was the same stadium that had like the water leaking issues. So it's like there are issues all over the stadium, all over the front office, all over the organization, and nobody's going to spend money to fix them. That all starts with Dan Snyder. All starts and revolves around Dan Snyder. All of this, all this money stuff, right? On top of bad direction for the commanders, coaching and talent-wise as well as front office-wise, bringing in Terrible signings, bringing in bad coaches, bringing in, you know, paying the wrong people the right amount of money. So there's all that money stuff, right? And then this all on top of sexual harassment claims. 15 former employees in the organization have said that they worked under sexual harassment for the Washington Commanders. 15 different employees. This wasn't like one, two people trying to get the commanders in trouble. This was 15 people. This was a real issue, right? And I'm not saying if one person or two people do it, that it's not a big issue. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that, like, this is, it's a repetitive problem that 15 people, 15 different people had to deal with that. Not one should. You know, I'm not saying it's not a big deal. But the fact that, I mean, just look at the number 15 and go, oh, my gosh, 15 people had this happen. And Dan Snyder knew nothing of it. What came of that, you ask? Nothing, really. Dan Snyder paid a $10 million fine on behalf of the Washington football team. He was not suspended, nor fired, nor nothing else really happened. Everything has been kept private of that matter because the Washington commanders, under Dan Snyder, want that to go away. Unreal. Unbelievable. The type of stuff that Dan Snyder has let happen to his organization so why is he the worst owner in sports taking over James Dolan? Because James Dolan doesn't have this type of this type of issues. He has issues, but not enough, you know, not these sexual harassment claims or not, you know, stadium failure, not fudging numbers to the NBA. Dan Snyder has done all that and more. Time for Snyder to go. He probably won't because he's a man of power, he's a man of wealth, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it's, it's, he's in control. He is in control of his own destiny at this point. The NFL can't just say you're done unless it got really, really terrible. You know, I, I mean, Roger Goodell is supposed to protect the owners. That's the job of the commissioner in pro sports is to protect the owners. What Rob Manfred just did for the Major League Baseball lockout was trying to protect the interest of the owners. So it's not like Roger Goodell is just going to waltz into 
Washington order, you know, to meet Dan Snyder in his office and then fire him. Like, that's just not going to happen. Dan Snyder is certainly going to stick around in that position. And that, to me, is a shame. That that, that I mean, you, you look at the, the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, and I get them from a Wisconsin market. I don't like to show bias. But look at what the ownership group that took over the Bucks a couple years ago did. What was it, six, seven, eight years ago now that they took over the Bucks, Rebranded the logo. Brought in a slew of talent. Brought in better coaching with Mike Budenholzer. Got rid of bad coaching with Jason Kidd. Developed Giannis Antetokounmpo. So development and talent acquisition was a skill of both the Bucks. But go to a Bucks game once. And tell me what the energy of the arena is like. Dancing and music. And granted, it's the way it's that way mo- around most stadiums in the NBA. But it's different in Milwaukee, especially from years past, where you used to go to a game and they, they would lose by 20 and it would just be deadbeat kind of atmosphere and you know nothing really going on. It is a complete different energy around the entire. And go to a Wisconsin Herd game in Oshkosh. Right? So it's the entire from... From top in the ownership down to even the bottom in the in the G League with the herd. I mean, the energy there is just insane. And it all starts with the ownership group. So why am I bringing in this example? Well, I want to show you what a real ownership group, what a better ownership, what a new and innovative ownership group can do to an organization. And that's what the commanders need, or at least they need it. They already committed to this commander's thing, which is a joke. What does that even mean? You're in Washington, D.C., you know, and does it have some ties to that? Okay, sure, but you couldn't have found anything better. The monuments or so, I don't know. You know, I, I don't get paid to do this type of stuff to come up with creative brands for professional teams, but it's like the, that's the best you got, commanders. This on top of front office skews and just, uh, I mean, a complete botch of handling some of the situations in Washington for the commanders. That's what's going on under Dan Snyder's ownership. So if you ask me, he's the new number one worst owner in sports, taking over James Dolan. Dolan's still up there. Dolan's still a joke running the Knicks. I have always said that, and I commit, I stand by that. But he's now number two. Dan Snyder's now the worst owner in sports. There you go. That's your argument. That's the, that's the bottom line. There's no other way to put it. Dan Snyder's the brutalist, the worst. I'm making up words and acronyms out here because he's just that bad. Now, with that being said, I got a little time. and I did this, I did this by design, this show plan, because speaking of these pro sports teams and their owners, media mogul Gary Vaynerchuk now owns a pro sports team. And I wanted to discuss this just for a brief moment. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Vaynerchuk or by any means, you know, I, I get what he does. I get, you know, he's the, the loud and outspoken media mogul who runs Vanner media or something like that. You know, I, I get it. You see his videos all on social media. He has a, a wide following because he's very passionate about what he does and he can be very motivating when he speaks. And I get that. But the only reason I'm bringing this in because of this interesting purchase that he just made. Gary Vaynerchuk has now bought a pickleball team as part of a four-team expansion for the MLP, Major League Pickleball. This is a real thing. Like, I'm not making this up. This is true. He bought a team that he's going to call the Fives after his favorite number, number five, 
for an undisclosed amount. The the details of this purchase and and how much money you know the major league pickleball costs for a team that's all been kept under the table. They don't want any of those numbers getting out, so we don't know how much he paid for this. But it's just interesting to mention that because I never heard of major league pickleball. I don't know how this conversation I, I turned from football, major league football, to pickleball, but it, it's hard. Like just imagine how much better of an owner Gary Vaynerchuk will be of the fives major league pickleball than Dan Snyder will be for the Washington commanders than he has been for the Washington commanders. He's been a joke in Washington and it's getting to the point now where Snyder has to think about making a change. I think James Dolan should be out. I think, I think Dan Snyder should be gone. And to me, I think that there will be more loyal fans of the fives than there will be of the commanders because it's not like the Knicks where they're from that massive New York market you know Washington's pretty big too but it's different because it's new freaking York right and Washington is built upon you know some political monuments and this and that the White House of course and then other pro sports teams but the commanders are starting to lose fans for some of their actions not to mention you're suing fans, suing your season ticket holders. How much more dedicated to the fives will fives fans be compared to <laughs> compared to the commanders? All right, I think I'm getting a little outrageous here with this discussion, talking about Major League Pickleball and relating it to the NFL. I get what I'm doing. I'm just trying to be a little uh, facetious here in the fact that I think Dan Snyder should be gone. I think he's the new number one worst owner in sports. James Dolan's still number two. I've always stuck by him, but I think this is going to be the turning point to the new number one worst owner in professional sports, which is now Dan Snyder. Let's turn the page now to baseball, which is where we will spend the rest of our show talking baseball in our next two segments. This first one, the middle segment of our show today, we're still talking about unwritten rules in baseball, huh? Really? That's what we're doing. Padres at Giants. Just a few nights ago, Giants leading by nine in the bottom of the sixth inning. Mauricio Dubon, former Brewer, bunts for a single. Remember, they're up by nine, late in the game. So he bunts for a single. Padres immediately did not like it. Manager Bob Melvin looked angry. He was, you know, kind of, it, it, there was, I'm not a lip reader, so I don't know what he was saying, but it was, he was, visibly upset at the fact that Dubon bunted. And he said so in his press conference afterwards that, you know, you're up big. Stop bunting. Stop, you know, playing that aggressively. You're probably going to win this game. You know, if you're the Padres, this is one that got away from you. You know, that happens every now and again where a team, you know, comes out, you Darvish, it wasn't his night. The Giants tagged on him early. And, you know, that just happens in baseball especially early in the season when pitchers aren't in mid-season form, when defenses aren't in mid-season form. Like, that'll happen. So, with the Giants having this huge lead, Giants manager Gabe Kapler, after Dubon came back to the dugout, it looked like Kapler was saying something to Dubon. I mean, he was like right on his shoulder. He was right in his ear. He was, he, he looked to me when I watched that video of Dubon heading back to the dugout. It looked like Kapler was a bit aggressive you know, he just kind of was standing in a way that he wasn't happy. 
But he came out after the game and backed Dubon's player's decision. You know, he backed his player's decision with Mauricio Dubon and said, you know, I, I like that. You know, that is aggressive. We're trying to win games. And, and he pretty much had his players back, which is a great thing to me in its own right. I, I don't, I think that gets taken for granted, the fact that, you know, there's a little bit, like just a tiny margin of public scrutiny on a player and a coach is going to be like, well, okay, yeah, and just feed into that public narrative and just make things better and try to calm things down and just kind of agree and put it under the table and hope it goes away. I like the fact that Kapler, in the eye of, I don't want to say non popular opinion but in the eye of disagreement had his players back I don't want that to go under the radar don't take that for granted the fact that a professional manager had his players back you know it's not impossible you know that happens it's common but it's just not common to the fact that we don't always deal with that that a manager or a coach will have a players back in a public microphone-ish type of uh, scenario type of environment where he's in a public press conference and he's got his players back. You know, usually a coach or a manager just, just tries to diffuse that situation. So I commend Gabe Kapler for that. Now, with that being said, here's where I stand on this whole matter. If you don't like it, then defend it, right? If you're the Padres, if you don't want a player to bunt for a single, then defend that outcome of the at bat. And the argument that you're down by nine, the fact that the opponent is winning by nine later in the ball game, right? Like you're in the back half if you're in the sixth inning. So the Padres are probably going to lose this game to the Giants. You're probably thinking, well, they don't need any more runs. They're probably going to win. But it's like the game is not over. The game is not over. I don't care what the score is. You know, I, I don't mean to go all, I forget that head coach's name of uh, that community college on, um, I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on the whole show. I didn't have it planned that I was going to mention this show, but it was that Netflix show, um, Last Chance You, that was it. And that first season with that team down in Mississippi, golly, I'm forget. I have a terrible memory, I suppose, I just can't remember. But he's like, I don't care if we're running up the score, the game's not over. You know, the clock's not at zero. And that is a great mindset to have. Especially at that level, you know, that community college level where the amount of points you had affected standings and season outcomes and things like that. So it mattered. Like, I don't care that you think I'm running up the score. I'm trying to get my team in a better situation come judgment day if they're going to get into a, a better playoff spot or trying to get the best conference seating that they can get. And this is the same type of deal here. I don't know that runs play that much of a factor. I think they do somewhere along the line of tiebreakers, but in baseball it's different because it doesn't usually come to that. Like, it doesn't usually get that far. However, game's not over yet. You know, there are teams with – I said it on, I think, last episode or, or a few episodes ago with Will where I was watching a Rangers-Blue Jays game, and the Blue Jays got out to a 6-0, 6-1 lead early. And you know what the final score of that game was? The Rangers came back and won by a score of like 12 to 6, 12 to 7. In baseball, there's no time limit. Like the, the game is just not over until the final out is recorded. I don't care what the score is. Do not stop playing. If you want to stay aggressive, you by any means can have that. 
you know, in, in, this, in the case of Mauricio Dubon, where he is not, I wouldn't call him an established Major League Baseball player yet. You know, he's made an opening day roster. He's been up in the minors, or excuse me, in the majors for the last couple of seasons, up and down. But he's not established himself as someone who's going to be there every day. Like, he doesn't have a guaranteed spot on the roster, on the Major League roster. You know, even on the 40-man, I guess. He's probably there on the 40-man, but even, let's just say for the sake of argument, he's not. Like, he's he is fighting to be a Major League Baseball player. So if you get to the end of the season, and does one hit have a really big impact on his batting average? No, probably not. But a few hits over the course of the season might. You know, a, a 275 batting average looks a lot different than a 250 batting average for a player who's coming up. You know, if you got good defense, okay, that's one thing. You know, look at Orlando Arcia, that plays. But offense, it would be nice to have your bat mean something in our lineup. So for Mauricio Dubon, he's trying to establish himself in Major League Baseball as a as someone who deserves to be on a Major League roster, someone who deserves to be in the lineup every day. And especially this early in the season where one hit will make a difference on your batting average, and granted, everybody knows that, so I say that with a grain of salt, but... A 500 batting average looks a lot different than a 250 batting average, than a 300 batting average. You know, it's different at this stage of the game. Mauricio Dubon's trying to fight to stay up, so that hit meant something to him. You know, I, and the fact, listen, here's where it all begins. The notion that your opposing team should even care about your feelings or should care about how you feel this game should end is ridiculous in its own right. To me, that is that is just complete a blatant example of being out of touch with what the actual situation is. Like it is a comp- sports are competitive, right? It's not supposed to be, oh, we're up big, so we're just gonna stop. Hey, do you actually want a couple runs? Let's see if we can make this a game and get our bullpen. I want my closer to get a save or whatever. Like that's not they don't care. The opposing team, they they just do not care, nor should they. In the name of competition, you should fight until that final whistle goes out. I don't care if you have, like in fighting, I don't care if you have landed 20 strikes and your opponent has landed five. You got to keep going. Like you're going to fight until that final bell or until someone secedes themselves from the match or the fight. Why, why is it different in baseball? You know, it's one thing in football if you're not going to continue to throw. You know, in football, you're going to bring in backups. You know, you might even do that. You make a couple defensive changes in in uh, the field for baseball. But you stop throwing the football. You let your running backs get some carries. You get, let the second, third string guys get some carries. And, you know, it's like I that I can see because there's a different way. Like there's two different styles of offense in the NFL. There's passing and then there's running. In baseball, it's just about scoring runs, right? Like that—that that is the main game. There's—you could argue there's aggressive and passive offense. You know, there's aggressive. You're going to try to bunt and play small ball and you know get steal bases. And then there's passive, where you're just going to try to have a good at bat. And you know, there's something to be said for that. But it's different because the goal is to score runs, right? That's the—that is the main objective. Like, there's only one way to do that. There's not—it's not like you're going to get a run in the air and then two runs on the ground, you know, whatever. I'm just trying to compare this to football. Like, it's a different breed. You know, there's something to be said about that. There, why should they stop playing because your feelings are hurt? 
Why should they stop feeling the stuff? And it's all in your control too. If you're Bob Melvin, and I'm not just yelling at Bob Melvin here because there are other coaches and managers who think like this all across this sport, wouldn't you just defend it? It's like getting mad at bat flipping. If you don't like it, defend it. If you don't like it, don't give up a home run. If you don't like it, don't have it happen. You are in control of that outcome. Like if you're Bob Melvin and the Padres, you are in control of Mauricio Dubon reaching in that situation. That's on the pitcher for not getting him out, and if he's going to bunt, that's on your defense for not being ready for it. Like, And if your defense isn't ready for it, then it's on you as the manager, Bob Melvin, for having them positioned that way. Stop it then. If you don't like it, then stop it. If you don't like it, defend it. The, making some excuse, like they, like your opposing team, the team you are playing against, not to mention a division rival, the notion that they should care about how you feel in any capacity, let alone the outcome of the game, ridiculous. That, to me, is ridiculous. That is so old school. This, this whole unwritten rule thing in baseball is like, get over some of this stuff. You know, it's like just trying to be too petty. If you don't like it, do something about it. Speaking of too petty, how about Garrett Cole the other day? There was a... A celebration. I forget exactly what it was. I think there was someone special throwing out a first pitch at a Yankee game, and Garrett Cole was slated to start. The game started at one fourteen instead of like one ten. So Garrett Cole wasn't ready for that, and he, in a roundabout way, cited that for the reason of his bad play, for his bad outing, for his lack of success on the mound. He somehow, in some roundabout way, cited the fact that the game started like four minutes late as the reason for why he didn't have a good outing. And it was like, you know, get over yourself, dude. Like, Garrett Cole has been hit around so much since Major League Baseball cracked down on the pine tar, sticky stuff use for pitchers. Like, it just kind of exposed Garrett Cole. He's still a good pitcher. I mean, he's still got good stuff, but it's just... It doesn't fool anybody the way it used to. I don't know what it is. So he might be mad at that, but it's like, dude, you got to get over it. Even Yankee fans were were coming after him saying, get over yourself, dude. Like, it's not that big of a deal. So with that, you know, these unwritten rules in baseball, I, I think it's time. Like, what does all this mean? What am I having this conversation for? I think it's time to usher out the unwritten rules of baseball. Now, granted, there are some that you need to keep. You know, you should not bunt. God, you know, and I, even then I'm hesitating on this saying. So should you or should you not bunt if a pitcher has a no-hitter or a perfect game in like the 6th or 7th? It's kind of like a tip of the cap, a gentleman's handshake, where it's like, okay, we're going to try to get this hit the hard way. And I like that. But then again, if the goal is to win, right, say it's a one nothing ball game and you show bunt, hey, the other team might not like it, but if I just said in this conversation that you should not care what the other team thinks, then do what you got to do, all right? Do what you got to do to get the – so it, it's an interesting contrast with this uh, unwritten rules in Major League Baseball, but it's something worth conversing about and talking about in the standpoint of should they change, should they be kept around. I think it's time to usher out old ways of thinking. That's all I'm saying here. Bat flipping, go ahead and do it. If you don't like bunting with – with a big lead, and go ahead and defend it. That's all I'm saying. Sticking with baseball for this third and final segment of the Tony G Show. 
By the way, 19th episode of season eight. Think about that for a second. Almost done. Six episodes left of the Tony G show. God, it just does not feel real to me. That just does not feel real. But whatever. We'll, we'll enjoy it while we're here. Isn't that right, Tony G Nation? So sticking with baseball for this third and final segment. The Savannah Bananas, I'm going to go ahead and call them this, are the WWE of the baseball world. If you have never heard of the Savannah Bananas before, well, sign up for Twitter because that's pretty much how they have earned their nationwide fan base. They are just a collegiate summer baseball team in the Coastal Plain League, the CPL, which is down in the south region of the nation. I believe they're based out of Georgia, the Savannah Bananas. They are owned by Jesse and Emily Cole. I mention that because they are the owners and founders of first of Fans First Entertainment Group, and they are the owners of the Savannah Banana Baseball Club. This was a team that was founded in 2016 with the goal of changing the game experience for baseball. You know, they, they were a different team of by like a normal name, and then they went Savannah Bananas, opened it up, and they, they really prioritize entertainment first. So that's why you can kind of see this WWE tie into this discussion. The reason I talk about this team now is because it seems that this year, the Savannah Bananas have really started with a bang and they're going viral just about every night. I mean, they are doing something that is, I don't even know how to explain it because it is in some parts ridiculous, but in some parts entertaining, in most parts welcoming to the game of baseball. I mean, it is funny in everything they do and goofy and but at the same time also ridiculous but like it works so it's it's weird they're like the Harlem Globetrotters of the baseball world that's another good example WWE Harlem Globetrotters like that is the Savannah Bananas the stuff they're doing like I said I want to say it again I'm sorry for the reiteration here but I want to say it again because it's so true that it is what they do is in equal parts ridiculous but in equal parts entertaining like what they do is just completely new to the to the pro sports world what they do and so I, I keep saying what they do let's talk about what they do there's like dancing and there's singing by players in the moment there's constant music there are batters who come up with flaming bats like their bat is on fire someone got a single just the other day with a flaming bat music that never stops plays throughout the inning okay fireworks after every home game and last night, the Bananas brought out a pitcher in the fourth inning on stilts. Guy's name was Dakota Stilts. So they said, why don't we just send him out there on stilts? The guy's standing there like 13 feet tall, throwing pitches. And, uh, like, what? <laughs> you see what I mean? Like, it is in equal parts ridiculous as it is entertaining, which is the same thing for WWE. Equal parts, you know, in its heyday, ridiculous. You know, fights in grocery stores between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Booker T or someone getting hit with a chair shot or being thrown through a table that is obviously fake. Like, it's just ridiculous that that would happen to a person, but it's also entertaining. Harlem Globetrotters, where, you know, they play that that team that, like, puts the, the clear thing over the hoop so that they, when the Globetrotters shoot, it can't go through the basket. And, like, why, why aren't we scoring? Or, like, there's remote control basketballs or just all other sorts of of ridiculous things that go on, you know, occurrences and jokes that go on that is like, this is so ridiculous for this sport and the basketball and to think that it's in some parts like normal to watch, but then it's also like entertaining because it's, you know, that there's that hint of 
entertainment or competitive to it, competitiveness to it, that it's like this is just something you have to watch. And the Savannah Bananas this year more than ever, I think, are just that organization, just that team, just that entity that you can't take your eyes off of. You know what I mean? Like watch what they do. Follow them on Twitter. I'm not even – I'm not affiliated in any way, but follow them on Twitter or at least be following something of baseball – category you know of of the baseball genre or sport on twitter and you are going to see savannah bananas clips at least once a week like it is because what they do is just so blasphemous you know a pitcher standing at like 13 feet tall what a flaming bat it's i I don't know it's this is completely is it good for the game of baseball i think so i mean i think they are doing baseball in a way that it has never been done before. It's obviously like a family first, fans first type atmosphere where we're trying to entertain you with winning, of course, but also by other, you know, other pranks or jokes or whatever is going on with other types of things that you can watch and be entertained to besides just the on-field product. And I think it's really attracting people to the game of baseball in a way it never has before. I don't know that it's on a nationwide large scale, but at least for that market and for people with Twitter, it's starting to spread the news that baseball can be fun. You know, I've always thought baseball is fun. When Will is here, he'll disagree with me till the sun comes up. But it's like I've always been invested in baseball because I've always loved what's going on. Every pitch can be a different outcome, and some people don't appreciate that, and that's all right. You know, baseball is not for everybody, but it's starting to show the rest of the world that this can be fun. With some of the gimmicks, that's the word I've been looking for. Some of the gimmicks that they put on or, or some of the things that they do. It's like we can have a fun time going to a baseball game. So I think it's very good for the game of baseball. Do I like what they do? That's different from is it good for the game of baseball? I do. I think it's entertaining. But I think I, I, I want to be careful of how they say this because I'm a fan of what they do. You know, I don't think it's bad. But there might be a line of when you're doing – too much that it's almost like this isn't what baseball is. You know, they like there's one there was one gimmick that they did just a few weeks ago that I wasn't a fan of where you know, they, I think the pitcher like stepped off the mound or he was on the mound. He was on the mound and he was like singing the infield orchestrated like this whole dance thing to some song where you can sing to and then he threw a pitch and struck out a batter. Like I don't think that's not baseball, right? Like that's not how it's supposed to be. But it's entertaining, so I get it. And all in all, I think what they do is good. I think that they are the WWE of the baseball world or the Harlem Globetrotters of the baseball world. I think that what they do is good and it's in good nature. So, I mean, to find any reason to criticize them or what they do is a stretch. You know, just take in what they do, take in how they do it, and enjoy it for what it is. So that are, that's my discussion on the Savannah Bananas. And that's our episode today. And a good one we had. Will was missed, but he will be back on Tuesday. As for you, Tony G Nation, I hope you have a good and a great Easter weekend. Good Friday today and Holy Saturday tomorrow and then Easter on Sunday, you know, a day of feast as well. So enjoy it with your families. If you're traveling and listening to this, I appreciate you listening. Follow in uh, on the website, TonyGNation.com. Like and subscribe to Tony G Show wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Twitter at Tony G Nation as well as on Instagram at Tony G Ordano. As for today's episode, that is going to do it. We'll see you next Tuesday uh, on the Tony G Show. Only six episodes left, so tune in when you can before we wind down 
the series, the podcast, the Tony G Show as we know it now. Thank you for listening today, Tony G Nation. We'll see you soon.